Good morning, church family. And as I get, a, get set up here, uh, just a quick announcement. As you know that uh, I'm a naval chaplain uh, in the U.S. Navy Reserves, and so that ministry is under the theological and spiritual oversight of the pastors and elders here at First Baptist Church of the Lakes. So it's a real ministry under this church. And so thank you for praying. Thank you for praying for the people that uh, I come in contact with. Your prayers are definitely and greatly appreciated. In the month of February, I'll be gone. So I'll, I'll be serving uh, the Navy during that month. So please pray for me. Please pray for the pastoral team and pray for my family as I pray for you. So let us pray now before we get started. Father, we're grateful for this time that you've given us. Every day is a gift from you, O oh God. I realize, Lord, as the weeks go by that life is a gift and time is running out and life is precious. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see you clearly today in your word by the aid of your spirit, O oh God, that we would simply not only hear but we would do. We would do what you've called us to do, O oh God, as your people, by your grace. And we bless you and we thank you and we love you because you have first loved us. And all of God's people said, amen. In the 1950s and 60s, there was a baseball player who played second base for the New York Yankees, and his name is Bobby Richardson. And Bobby Richardson was asked to pray at the FCA event. Some of you are very familiar with FCA, that's Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And in this prayer, he made a very short prayer, but a very profound prayer. And this is his prayer at this event. He says, Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Amen. This is a short prayer about doing God's will. We are in Luke chapter 8, verses 19 to 21, entitled, Jesus, True Family. And the main point I want to get across this morning for us is Jesus, true family, are those who hear and do God's word. They hear and do God's word. In other words, Jesus' true family consists of doing God's will. Doing God's will. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Amen. And so in this text for us today, the background is, in verses 19 and 20, Jesus is out and about in his earthly ministry. He's surrounded by hundreds, maybe thousands of people. The crowd is massive. The crowd is large, and Jesus' family, his mother, Mary, and his brothers are trying to get to the Lord Jesus Christ. But if, if you understand what's happening in the Gospel of Luke, every time we move forward in this Gospel, as Jesus is healing more people and the miracles are being known throughout the region, more and more people are coming out to see Jesus. And so there seems to be a messenger within this massive crowd 
from the family of Jesus, the mother, Mary, and the brothers. And this messenger delivers this message to Jesus within this massive crowd. And the family simply wants to see Jesus. I think that's a noble and genuine and straightforward request. But Jesus says something in verse 21 that's pretty astonishing. He says, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is a shocking statement because in first century Palestine or first century Jewish culture, Family relationships are near and dear to the heart. We understand that for those of us who have close families here in America. And at first glance, this statement by Jesus almost sounds disrespectful. Did Jesus break the fifth commandment of honoring your father and your mother with this statement? And just to remind us, the fifth commandment from the Ten Commandments is honor your father and your mother. Did he violate that? And the short answer is no, he did not. He was not rude. He didn't violate God's law. And what Jesus is doing with this statement is that he's making a comparison. He's making a distinction between family relationships and his mission as the Christ. His family, lineage, and the work of Christ. And the work of Christ is to save his people from their sins. In John chapter 19 and verse 26, it talks about very clearly the love of Christ and his care for his own mother. It says in verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. The term woman in American culture sounds very degrading. But the term woman during that time frame is really a term of endearment. It's not a derogatory term. It's not a rude term. And Jesus says these words when? When he's actually on a cross. He's nailed to the cross. He's lifted up. He's dying for the sins of his people. And he sees his mother. And he cares for his mother while he is dying. And he says to the disciple whom he has affection for. Who's that special affinity for? John the Baptist. And he says to John the Baptist, This is your mother. And to his mother, this is your son. And so what is Jesus doing? He's connecting his mother with a dear disciple whom he loves before he dies. And he's dying as what? He's dying as the mediator between God and man. He's dying as the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus obeys not only the law, but the spirit of the law. He obeys the fifth commandment of honoring father and mother. All of us have been children at some point, right? And so have we not obeyed our father and our mother, but we did so with the wrong spirit, with the wrong heart? We just did it 
to pacify them for the moment. But Jesus does both perfectly. He obeys the fifth commandment and he does it with the right spirit, the right heart, the right attitude. So what is Jesus saying in verse 21 when he says, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. For Jesus to be part of his family, the true family of God, the person has to hear the word of God. He's making connection between hearing and doing. And those who actually hear and those who do are members of Jesus' family. There are two evidences which prove that one is in Jesus' family. And we see these two verbs of hear and do. Hear and do. And so before I jump into this, I think it would be very beneficial for us to really ask ourselves this question. Am I a follower of Christ? And if the answer is yes, we need to ask ourselves a follow-up question. Are we hearing the word of God and are we doing the word of God? Because in this text, Jesus does not separate those two. He actually brings those two together as evidence of being in Jesus' family. And I want to spend most of the time with the hear, H-E-A-R, hearing with your ears. There's a difference in the Bible between physical ears and spiritual ears. Physical ears, they can hear the word of God. Like some of you who are not Christians right now, under the sound of my voice, you are hearing the word of God as I proclaim it. But without a changed ear, you hear it, but you don't hear it. Why? Because you don't have spiritual ears. The one with spiritual ears hears the word of God, understands the word of God, and obeys the word of God. That's what it means to have spiritual ears. And so for Jesus himself, he places a high priority, utmost priority on obedience to the word of God. Obedience to the word of God. This priority on the obedience to God's word is above any human family lineage or relationship or friendship the commitment to obedience to the word of god outlasts outvalues higher transcends than any human relationship in this world that's what jesus is saying and so yes jesus mother is mary and yes there was other children, not through the Holy Spirit, but through Joseph, the one she was engaged to. And through this human procreation and through this marriage, there are other brothers and sisters, according to Mark 6.3. Mark 6.3. These are half-brothers and sisters named James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and other sisters. So, when we think about family, when you think about your family, where does that rank 
in your heart when you compare that relationship to God's word, in obedience to God's word. Jesus is not saying family relationships mean nothing. He's not saying that. Jesus respects and values family relationships. But what he is saying is this, a true mark of a disciple of Jesus, how we know that they're in the family of Jesus, which is God's family, by the way, is obedience to God's work. That is the indicator. That is the mark. That is the evidence that this person who says they're a follower of Christ actually is in the family of God, the family of Jesus, by their obedience to God's word. There's no comparison, no comparison between Jesus' earthly ministry as the Savior, as the Messiah, as the mediator between God and man, and family, biological, ethnic, or cultural relationships. There's no comparison to those things. And yet Jesus says those are valuable, those are beneficial. You have those, but when you compare it to the Word of God, that's on a completely different level. So what's your stance on the Word of God? Do you hear the Word of God? Do you truly hear the Word of God with spiritual ears? And if the answer is yes, there's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost. In Luke 14, 14, 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Did you hear that, God's people? He says, if you don't hate your own family, you cannot be my disciple. That's shocking to the system. If you love your family, that's shocking to your system right now. And so what is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about literal hate towards your literal family? And the answer is no, because why? That would violate the fifth commandment of honoring your father and your mother. That would violate God's word where husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That would violate other commands in the Bible if we're talking about literal hate towards your literal family. That would violate the word of God. So family relationships, they are important. But Jesus places a command to keep one generation of honoring your father and mother connected to the next generation. That's the idea behind honor your father and your mother, that one generation is connected to the next generation, that one generation would deliver truth, teach truth, the truth of God's word to the next generation. It was an oral society. And this is mandated for human flourishing. To honor your father and your mother is part of human flourishing. And so therefore, to disrespect your parents is to dishonor God. To disrespect your parents is to dishonor God. 
I'm so tempted to apply that to only children right now. But the reality is that applies to all of us, whether you're young or older. We're to honor our parents. This does not mean that we have no disagreements with them. There are times when we will disagree. But the standard of our disagreement is based on the word of God, not our personal preferences. Parents are not allowed to command their children to sin. Parents are not allowed to teach their children to sin. But children, whether you're young or old, you still have a responsibility, whether you agree with your parents or not, to honor your father and mother so long as they don't ask you or command you to sin against God, to violate God's word. Children, obey your parents. Why? In the Lord, for this is right. So when Jesus, when he's making this comparison of obedience to Jesus Christ versus family relationships, what Jesus is saying, when you follow Christ, when you love Christ with all of your heart, that love looks like, in comparison to loving other people, looks like hate. He's not saying literally hate your parents and literally hate your family. He's not saying that. He's making a comparison. When you look at your love for Jesus compared to your love for others, when you compare those two loves, it should look like hate because you're completely sold out and committed to Jesus. You know, some of you know my story. Back in... uh, the early 2000s, I was prepared to leave Las Vegas because I had a job offer in Denver, Colorado. And the Lord and his kind providence disrupted that, and which is fine with me because I met a Southern Belle who became my wife. But before she became my wife, I remember we had hundreds of conversations about the gospel, about the Bible, about our biblical role as husband and wife and father and mother. We talked about anything and everything regarding the Bible. But before I proposed to my wife, I said these words to her. I said, sweetheart, I want you to know that you will never be first place in my life. And it went dead silent for 30 seconds. And the 30 seconds felt literally in my heart like 30 years. And I thought to myself, Lord, I just lost a good woman. And she responded, why? Why do you say that? And I said, because Jesus must be first in my life. You've got to be able to accept that. And then she said to me, you'll never be first place in my life. (laughs) So... In retort, I said, well, why? (laughs) And she said, because Jesus will be first place in my life. I said, touche, touche. That's fine. This is going to work out great. As long as we put Jesus first, everything's going to fall into place. So what am I saying? Am I saying I hate Kara? No, I don't hate Kara. I love Kara. But there's somebody above Kara that I love with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when I don't, 
he still forgives me and is patient with this sinner saved by grace. So my love for Kara looks like hate in comparison to love for God in Christ. So, is that us? How do we rate our love for Christ versus our love for our own biological family? Are they on the same level? If they are, there's a problem. But I must say this, prior to hearing the word of God, prior to obeying the word of God, one must be changed by God. In other words, the person who has ears is to hear the word of God. That's Luke 8, 8, which I mentioned earlier. They need to have spiritual ears. If they're going to obey God, live for God, they must have spiritual ears. They cannot just live the Christian life with physical ears. They must have spiritual ears. They must have a genuine desire to submit and obey once the ears have been changed by God's grace. I'm not talking about how how real Christians have real problems. Real Christians do have real problems. Real Christians have temptations. Real Christians do sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the struggle of the Christian life. What I am talking about is how does someone go from A, a non-Christian, to B, a born-again Christian? That's what I am talking about. And let me say it like this. The ear bone is connected to the heart bone. Remember that song as elementary student, right? Please don't quote me on that. But the ear bone is connected to the heart bone. If your heart has been changed, you have a heart that comes from God by God's grace and kindness to you, then you have a new heart, you have new ears, you have new eyes. Praise God. That's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit by God's grace. So the question now becomes, what's your relationship with God? What's your relationship with God? You can say what most people say. I believe in God. But according to James, so do the devil and the demons believe in God. Your understanding of God must be biblical. Your understanding of God must go beyond that. Your understanding of God must go deeper. Do you believe in the one that God has sent? Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have God. If you have Jesus, you have God. That's John 14, 6. You have new ears. So, which ears do you have? Matthew 13, 14 talks about Jesus quoting Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. And it says this, Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. See, you don't, you don't want to be this person. 
You don't want to be the person who has ears but cannot hear. You don't want to be the person who has eyes but cannot see. You don't want to be that person. You want to be the person in Matthew 13 and 16, verse, chapter 13, verse 16, where Jesus says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Jesus is talking to his disciples who are committed to him, who have a change of heart. And Jesus says, because you have a change of ears and a change of eyes, you are blessed because you see and you hear. Have you ever noticed that when we do a Sunday worship here, the Lord's Day, that when we read the very word of God from this pulpit, at the end of the reading, we say, this is the word of God. Why do we say that? It's because we literally believe that what we have in our hands is the very word of God. That's why we say it. But sadly, maybe there are some within this room that need something more than the word of God. Yes, the Bible is the word of God. But Pastor Ola, I need something just a little bit more. Well, what do you need? Well, I believe in the Bible. I believe the Bible is the word of God, but I need to hear. I need to hear, I need to hear the voice. I need to hear the voice of God from heaven to me. What does that mean? Do you literally need an audible voice from heaven to you so that you would obey the word of God? Well, we know what the answer is, right? When you read the Bible in your devotional time, read louder. And when you read louder, you hear the very word of God. It may just sound like your voice, but you're actually reading and hearing the word of God. You don't need a voice that comes from heaven. As a matter of fact, if that's you and you need to hear an actual voice, an audible voice from heaven to you, you have a problem with the Bible. Actually, you have a problem with the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures. The sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures. Let me define the word sufficiency. The Holy Scriptures contain all the divine words needed for any aspect of human life. Let me say that again. Holy Scripture contains all the divine words needed for any aspect of human life. We know this as sola scriptura, right there. Sufficiency is just another term for sola scriptura. And so what does it say? What does it mean? As a Christian, when you're single, the Bible actually tells you how to be a good Christian as a single person. When you're married, the Bible actually teaches you how to be a godly husband, men, to your wives. And wives, how to be a godly wife as you submit to your husband. And how you're to raise your children, your parenting, to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The Bible's not silent there either. The Bible also talks about how to send out missionaries and what type of message they're to carry. 
The Bible also talks about how the church is to operate and what should be the center of the church ministry, the very word of God. The Bible is not silent regarding these topics. Therefore, all of Scripture has the divine words needed for any aspect of human life. So if that is true, which it is, then why do you need an audible voice from heaven? In the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, paragraph 1.1, regarding the Holy Scriptures, it says this, quote, The Holy Scriptures are the only sufficient, certain, and infallible standard of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. It goes on to say, The Lord put this revelation completely in writing. Therefore, the Holy Scriptures are absolutely necessary because God's former ways of revealing His will to His people have now ceased. In other words, when you have the Word of God, what else do you need? God has revealed Himself many times in many places, especially in the Old Testament. He revealed Himself to His own people. For example, in the Garden of Eden, God revealed himself to humanity, Adam and Eve, by his own voice. He says, do this, don't do that. God revealed himself in his presence through the tabernacle and the temple. When you see the tabernacle, you see the temple, the people would say, there is God meeting with his people. God revealed himself through his priests who sacrificed animals. And when there was an offering, God is present. God revealed himself through the prophets who represented God to the people by messages of reconciliation and repentance. And God revealed himself through the kings, the one who sat upon the throne to rule the people in righteousness. So God revealed himself many times in many places. But now God has revealed himself through his son. Through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is amazing when we think about this. That God, the son, took on flesh the incarnate word of God. And is recorded forever, forever, forever in all of the Bible the written word of God, the greatness of Christ. So when we think about this, we should think about 2 Timothy 3.16. says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Thank you, Pastor Corey, for not preaching a sermon on that text this morning. When I heard that in the first hour, I was like, there he goes. He's about to take my sermon. <laughs> but when we think about 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's beneficial. Beneficial for what? For doctrine. It's beneficial for 
rebuke, rebu rebuke the wrongdoer for causing correction and for proper behavior in righteousness, which is what God requires. That the man of God, referring to pastors and elders within the local church, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Did you hear that? In verse 17, where it says, for every good work, every. You know what the word every means? Every. Every good work. That's the sufficiency of the scriptures. The sufficiency of God's word. Whatever there's a need, whenever there's a need, it talks about it in the Bible. The word of God is sufficient. Scripture contains all the words, all the divine words needed for any aspect of human life. So when we think about 2 Timothy 3.16, that's technically referring to the Old Testament. That is referring to the first five books of the Old Testament. But when we think of 2 Peter 3.5, or 3.15, I should say, 2 Peter 3.15. And we connect it to 2 Peter 3.16. When we connect these two verses, this is important. Because in 2 Peter 3.15 it says this, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. And he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Why 2 Peter 3.15 important? It's because of this. This is how you connect the New Testament and the Old Testament together. The 2 Timothy 3.16 refers to the Old Testament. 2 Peter 3.15 connects Old and New Testament together because it says here in this text that what Paul wrote is wisdom from God given to him in his letters and that these letters are considered and are holy scripture holy scripture that's how you connect the old and new testament together now why do I bring that up why is that important because you as christians I, as a Christian, we need to have confidence that the Bible that's in our hands is the very Word of God. Many of us live lives of desperation. Many of us live lives of disappointment and discouragement. Many times it's because we don't believe the Word of God as we should. We doubt the Word of God. We doubt His promises. We doubt whether God can fulfill what He's said in his word. So the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures matter. And I can tell when Christians in this room believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. Why? Because they bring their Bibles every Sunday. They open up their Bibles. They actually line it up. They highlight. They make notes. 
They're studying the Word of God. They're meditating upon the Word of God. They're memorizing the Word of God. Why would they do that if the Word of God is not sufficient? So, I say that so that we understand that the Word of God is enough for saving faith, knowledge, and obedience. Do you really need to hear an audible voice from heaven when you have the very Word of God in your hands? So, if you're a growing Christian, I just want to say this. This language of, I need to hear a voice from heaven, you need to remove that from your vocabulary. You need to learn to remove that from your vocabulary. Because why? The word of God is enough. You have the very word in your hand. You have God's voice. It's called the Bible. You have God's will. It's called the Bible. God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. And what you have in your hands is the precious word of God. Which leads me to point number two. That Jesus' true family are those who hear and do God's word. They actually do it. Luke 11 verse 28 talks about the obedience to God's word. Jesus says in verse 28, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Have you ever noticed there's a theme throughout the Bible that God's people are to hear and to keep, hear and to do, hear and to hold on to? Those two are never disconnected. And in this text, Jesus is not denying that Mary is blessed, but his focus is hearing and obeying God's word which is more important than any biological relationship you could ever have in this life. And when God's people obey, especially in the Old Testament, there's covenantal blessings. But when God's people disobey, there's covenantal curses. So it's a blessing when God's people corporately obey, and those are the people with a new heart by God's grace. So this is the challenge for us today. Will we, as Christian men and women, obey the very word of God? John 15, 14, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Did you hear that? John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. In verse 1, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. And the Father is the vine dresser. And then in verse 12, Jesus gives a command. And here's the command. You love one another. That's the command. You love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus says in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then verse 14, which we just read. You are my friends if, conditional, if you do what I command you. So we are friends of Jesus if we obey this command, according to Jesus. And how are we friends? you got to go to verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. You abide in me, and I abide in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. 
See, branches will never grow and never flourish and never produce unless they receive life-giving nutrients from the vine. And when they receive this, they are fruitful. What is Jesus referring to? Jesus is referring to a real relationship, a real connection with the true vine, Jesus himself. A permanent relationship. And if there's a real connection to Jesus, then here's the answer. There must be obedience. There must be obedience. Matthew 7, 21, one of the scariest verses I've ever read in my Christian life is talking about those who enter the kingdom of heaven. And it says this in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, Entering the kingdom of heaven, according to what Jesus has said here, is based on doing God's will. There's a distinction between how someone becomes a Christian. They become a Christian by receiving a new heart, which leads to new ears. And this idea of using the word Lord, Lord, gives a sense of intimacy. Like there's a relationship there. But Jesus is not about name it and claim it. It's not about using Jesus' name or title, Lord, Lord, to get something that we want. But if you're in this category of using Jesus' name to speak something into existence, to name it and claim it, you have to deal with this verse. You have to deal with this verse honestly. Because this verse, in context, has nothing to do with naming, naming and claiming. It has nothing to do with claiming anything. It has nothing to do with feelings. It has nothing to do about performing something. Some sort of miracle. What, Je what Jesus is saying, what truly matters is genuine obedience. Genuine obedience to God's will according to God's word. In other words, the only way that the branch is connected to the vine is that there's a real relationship. By a living faith in Jesus Christ, the living Savior. The one who does the will of God, the Father, enters the heaven, kingdom of heaven, all by God's grace. How about James 1.22? We are all familiar with James 1.22 about hearers and doers, right? Verse 22 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is here, a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. In context, in context, it's talking about putting away all sin, putting away unrighteous anger, putting away filthiness and ramp rampant wickedness. It's also talking about to receive God's implanted word with meekness, which is able to save your souls. 
And according to James, to be a doer of God's word means to be obedient. It means to have godly action. That's what it means to be a doer. See, in the ancient world, they didn't have mirrors like we have mirrors today where it's glass and you see a really good, accurate reflection of ourselves. But in the ancient world, what they had was a piece of metal polished up and put up on a wall. So it's not as clear as what we have today. But this person with this type of mirror is a person who is a hearer that looks at himself or herself in the mirror and then walks away from the mirror and forgets what they look like. That's what it means to be a hearer of the word of God. There's no God-honoring action. There's no God-honoring obedience. They forget what they look like. They're simply a hearer. But the person who looks into God's word, which is the perfect law, the holy scriptures, the law of liberty, and they persevere, they continue on, is not a hearer, but a doer. This is the doer. The doer of God's word, and this person is blessed. So when you look into God's word, how do you see yourself? Do you forget the word of God? If that's you, you're here. But if you actually do the word of God, you are blessed. The question is, are we obedient or disobedient to God's word? Are you a hearer or a doer? As I close here, I want to bring to our attention what the Word of God says in Luke chapter 6. It's talking about building your life or building your house on a rock. Luke 6, 46 says this. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. See, our lives have two basic choices. Either we're going to build it on the Word of God or we're not. We're going to build it on sand or we're going to build it on a solid foundation, the rock. And God's Word, God's Word, when it's obeyed, is a solid foundation. And when the floods come, talking about the eschatological judgment, when God's day comes, that last day, that day when judgment comes upon a person's house, which is his life or her life, will their life or their house stand or not stand in judgment? And those who built their lives upon the rock, Jesus, have a solid foundation. And when the judgment comes, their house is not torn to shreds. Because why? Their foundation is in the Savior, in the King, in the King of Kings. 
by faith in this king. Or the second choice is this. Disobedience to God's word is like the person who built their house on sand. They hear God's word on a Sunday morning, but as soon as they walk out these doors, they don't do and they don't obey the word of God. And so when that day comes, their lives, their house, everything that they built their lifestyle on for their entire lives is now lost. They hear, but they don't hear. And yet they claim Jesus by saying, Lord, Lord. You know, the term Lord is a respectful title. That's like us in the Western world when we say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. But the word Lord also means the person has authority over your life. That person calls the shots. And so when we call Jesus Lord, what are we actually saying? How are you going to build your life? Because at the end of that day, at the end of time, we will all give an account. So in Luke chapter 8, I've preached the last several Sundays on parables. Verse 9 through 15 was the four hearts, if you remember that. The barren heart, the shallow heart, the infested heart, and the good heart. And the good heart is the one who pays attention to and properly responds to God's word. And they bear fruit with patience. That's the good heart. They hear, they pay attention, and they obey God's word and they bear fruit. That was the first parable. But in the second parable last week, verses 16 through 18, it talked about let it shine. Let what shine? Let God's word shine brightly in a dark world. God's word is to shine brightly in a dark world. So when we take these parables of three weeks ago or two weeks ago and last week, and we connect it to today's text this is what you end up with holding to and exhibiting God's word in obedience is the proper response for God's people exhibiting clinging to God's word in obedience is the proper response for God's people if you don't have a changed ear that means you don't have a changed heart. And if you don't have a changed heart, I don't expect you to obey God's word and God's law and God's will. But if you claim that you are a follower of Christ, what you're automatically saying is Jesus is my Lord. He has authority over my life and I submit to his word. I submit to him. So sermon in a sentence is this. The true family of God are those who hear and obey God's word and places God's word as their highest value in life, no matter their cultural backgrounds, family lineage, nor ethnicity. If you're in the family of God, if you're in Jesus' family, you have a real family for all of eternity. And that's God's grace to you. The question is, will you obey God's word, or will you continue to build your life upon sand? I pray that you would do what is right and pleasing to God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time.
Lord, we thank you for the word that we heard. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us, O God, where we have disobeyed you, when we have brought reproach upon your holy name. Lord, forgive us. We thank you for your word and by the aid of your spirit that you correct us when we're wrong, you rebuke us for our wrongdoing and our sinful behavior. Lord, forgive us when we are asking for something more than your very word. Lord, we believe in the sufficiency of your word, that it is enough for life and practice. Help us, O God, to honor you. Lord, when our hearts are cold and callous, then we are tempted to walk away. O God, convict us. Draw us back to you. Help us to see with spiritual eyes the beauty and the majesty and the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remind us, O God, to hear your word rightly by studying your word, to show ourselves approved. Lord, we love you because you have first loved us, and we thank you that you cannot lie. You've given us Christ, and you've given us your very word. In his name we pray. Amen.